0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. morning. How many people are here for the first time or close to the first time? Don't be shy. Several of you, okay, good, thank you. Um, Welcome again and again. So today, as I said, I'm going to talk about zazen—the thing about which we don't say very much, <laughs> talk a lot, but we don't really kind of talk about what it is or what it isn't—and we encourage people to explore it for themselves rather than telling them what to do or, uh, you know, how to do it, except for certain very specific instructions. How many of you have had zazen instruction here or anywhere? Most of you. Okay, so you're sort of familiar with how that goes. And the impulse for this talk is, I think I could say there are three reasons why I wanted to give this talk. One is coming out of conversations I have with people, private conversations, or practice discussion. We call it practice discussion. Sometimes we call it dokusan. Um, Sometimes I hear people speak of their, I don't want to say difficulties in zazen, but their experience in zazen, and they have questions. So it's partly out of questions that I keep hearing, (laughs) so I thought I might just speak about it generally without referring to any particular conversation. But if you hear an echo in your own mind, you'll know (laughs) that you share some of the same questions that everyone else has. So that's one thing. Um, The other is that uh, we have this uh, visitor coming next week who's written a very interesting book about Zen practice and about Zazen, Zazen mind, and Zazen as the heart of the, the fundamental basis of compassion and I thought it might be useful to say a few things to you all here. Um, from, you'll, you'll realize it's not entirely my perspective. I, I'm going to quote a lot of teachers because they all had wise things to say with which I mostly agree. Um, <laughs> so I'm picking and choosing the teachers that I'm going to quote. But the third thing is personal for me. Recently I had a conversation with my root teacher Uh, in North Carolina, uh, Josho Pat Phelan. Um, I mention her from time to time here. I trained with her for 20 plus years and she ordained me as a layperson and also as a priest. And so she had a very long time to guide and observe my practice. And uh, so in our recent conversation, you know, I expressed some kind of feeling um, about my uh, still new role here as as, uh, guiding teacher for the Austin Zen Center. For those of you who are new, I took up this uh, position in June. And um, she said to me, you've been sitting Zazen for 23 years. She knew the exact number of years (laughs) I've been sitting Zazen. And bear in mind, I haven't seen her in three years. I I left right as COVID was hitting North Carolina. And I haven't, we talk from time to time, but So anyway, she knew that. And then she said to me, and I guess this was supposed to resolve whatever I had brought up with her. She said, you're a Zazen priest. And that's all she said. (laughs) (laughs) And then I remembered, you know, like many years ago when I was, I had an aspiration to be ordained as a priest. You know, her emphasis for all of us who had that aspiration was a priest serves the Sangha. And a priest manifests this in a very important way by sitting zazen and by supporting other people to sit. So since we spoke, Joshua and I, I've been sort of ruminating about this. What is it to be a zazen priest? What is it to encourage others to sit? And so on. So zazen, for anyone who is new, is the Japanese term we use for what is usually called meditation right? and there are lots of meditation practices in Buddhism and in other uh, spiritual traditions. Sometimes Zazen is translated as Zen meditation right? um, to specify that it's this kind of meditation and not some other form of meditation and as you may know Zen itself is the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese word Chan, So Chan Buddhism is Chinese Zen Buddhism, and Chan is in turn how the Chinese say Jhana, which is Sanskrit for meditation. (laughs) So Jhana, Chan, Zen. That's the kind of linguistic lineage. Zazen is literally sitting meditation. The Za of Zazen is sitting. So that's an interesting little factoid right there. Our emphasis is on the sitting part of meditation, which is, of course, something we do with our, our bodies. The Japanese Zen also refers to Zazen, or Zen meditation, as Shikantaza. Shikantaza. So Shikan is just, or nothing extra, right? just this. Uh, Like someone once said, black coffee is chican coffee, (laughs) just (laughs) coffee, which is not what we usually get these days. Nothing extra. Ta is a word or a particle that means just exactly, exactly, like like that, like meeting something exactly. And then um, za, as we already said, is sitting. So again, the emphasis is on sitting and nothing else nothing extra. And it's a physical posture. You know, rather than something you do with your brain or your mind, which is I think the heart of our word for meditation is mind, you know, this thing, right? It's on just sitting, exactly sitting, meeting sitting. So in this word shikantaza, there really isn't even an explicit reference to meditation. Not even not even um, as Zen or Jhana. So, as I said, there's a tremendous amount written about Zazen. Our Japanese ancestor, Dogen, Dogen Zenji, himself wrote a lot about it. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dogen, he is the 13th century Japanese monk who founded the school of Zen Buddhism that we practice here, Soto Zen. And he brought this branch of or school of Buddhism from China back to Japan. And like most Zen masters, Dogen wrote his own guidelines for how we should practice Zazen. So this was a kind of uh, practice of Zen teachers in China and then in Japan to write their own kind of manual or set of instructions for how to do this. So Dogen wrote three main texts on Zazen. One that's called the Fukan Zazengi, which he wrote in 1228 of the present era. And so he's a medieval period monk. And another called just Zazengi, which was written in 1243. So Zazengi is a text, it's a genre, a kind of uh, short, supposedly easily memorized text about Zazen. So all you would become a monk in some temple and the teacher would have this text for you. Dogen wrote the Fukan Zazengi, however, in Chinese, <laughs> which is kind of the practice that he took from China, and also because Chinese was the language of educated high-born people, and he was one of those um, in, in origin. And uh, he kept revising it until the 1240s, so like 15, for 15 years he took this one page of text and kept rewriting and rewriting and rewriting it, trying to express what he wanted to express about Zazen. And when he finally wrote the Zazengi, 15 years later, he wrote it in Japanese. He finally kind of said, all right, I need something that's accessible to everyone. He also wrote a third text called the Zazen Shin, sometimes translated as the point of Zazen <laughs> as well. And there are Chinese precedents for this text as well. I'm not going to talk about it today, but I, I certainly recommend reading it if you're uh, interested. And also, Dogen spoke of Zazen very often in his other writings, but these are the three in which the focus was Zazen. And I think it's interesting that this title, Fukan Zazengi, the first text that he wrote means the universal recommendation of Zazen for everyone, right? So even though he's a monk and he's establishing a temple and he's going to train monks, people who are full-time practicing, he felt, and we still teach, that this practice is recommended, available to, uh, and, some teachers say, essential (laughs) for all human beings, without exception. Dogen had traveled to China, which was a very dangerous journey in those days, looking for a true teacher. He was not satisfied with the teachers he found in Japan. And he thought that his own Chinese master, the one he finally found, uh, his master, who was named Ru Jing or Zhu Qing in Chinese, was the only one to have really understood Zazen since the Chinese Tang Dynasty master Yakujo, who lived from 720 to 814. So he thought nobody had really been practicing true Zazen for like four or 500 years. So that's the background to what I'm about to talk about. It's a line of Dogen's Fukan Zazengi that supplies the, the title I've used for this talk, which is Zazen is not learning meditation. So now to just uh, talk about that. So Dogen wrote this text and he gave very detailed instructions for how to arrange the body in a sitting posture. Right? And they're very similar to what you'll hear in Zazen instruction in any Zen temple anywhere. Right? Sit like this, Keep your spine upright, put your uh, shoulders in line with your ears, you know, lower your gaze, but keep your face up, right? This should sound familiar, I hope, if you've been through zazen meditation. So he gives these very detailed instructions, and then he says I'm quoting Dogen, the Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Everybody giggles usually when I say that. (laughs) The practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the manifestation of ultimate reality. He says, traps and snares can never reach it. Once its heart is grasped, you're like a dragon gaining the water, like a tiger taking to the mountains. For you must know that just there, in Zazen, the right Dharma is manifesting itself, and that from the first, dullness and distraction are struck aside. So, these instructions lead you to the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, while your knees ache and your mind wanders, and you think about that cup of coffee you wish you had had, and all of that. So the first thing I want to uh, tackle is this firm statement in both the Fukan Zazengi and in the Zazengi, both of the texts that he wrote specifically about Zazen, that Zazen is not learning meditation. Like, what does that mean? We just we learn how to meditate. Well, how can you say Zazen is not learning meditation? So the word that is translated here as learning meditation, where it's translated, we use a phrase, two words, learning meditation, there's one word in Japanese for this, and it's shuzen. zen Sorry, shu. It's not that shu. <laughs> shuzen. This means a training practice. Training is about learning, right? When you train to do something, whether it's, you know, a sport, or a musical instrument, or anything else, right? You're learning something. So it's not shu-zen. Learning uh, meditation. Zen is aimed at a state or states called jhana in Sanskrit. Sometimes that's translated as meditative absorption, a kind of concentration. And remember, Zen is how the Japanese say jhana. So there is some relationship here. Um, jhana, uh, or in another word, samadhi, which is another way of, of talking about concentration. Is one aspect of Buddha's eightfold path, and it's also one of the six paramitas, the six so-called perfections, um, which generosity, morality, patience, vigor, you know, effort, concentration or jhana, and wisdom. Those are the six paramitas. Right. So there are all these lists in Buddhism, right? Lots of lists, um, and this uh, jhana, concentration or samadhi, appears in those. Right. So these are practices and trainings of earliest Buddhism, going back directly to the Buddhist teaching. Um, one definition that sort of took me aback when I was looking at uh, various sources for this talk, one definition of jhana is trance. That's a modern uh, translation or modern gloss on what that means. I'm, I'm not sure I would go that far, but it points to the quality of jhana as a kind of willed or conscious effort aimed at a particular mental state. right? So, you know, this is training the mind, sometimes called controlling the mind, right? And there are many degrees of samadhi. You can read a lot about samadhi too. There's a vast literature about that. Um, but there are four basic ones that crop up in Buddhism. Um, in the first one, you sort of steady your mind. In the second, you observe your mind. I'm simplifying radically, by the way. In the, uh, sorry, in the second, you sort of free your mind but you observe it at the same time. In the third, you are more or less indifferent to it. It doesn't disturb you. And in the fourth, you find sort of the ground of practice. And one Japanese teacher from the early 20th century said, this is all that the Buddha's taught, just these four samadhis. He founded uh, his religion upon samadhi, according to this teacher, Soke An. This was his name. So... I would agree with the sentiment that in the fourth stage you find your mind close to yourself and that at the center of your sitting, your, the, your mind, your big mind, pervades the entire universe. That is the takeaway that Soke-An uh, offered to Americans in, in uh, the early 20th century when he was trying to teach something about Zen. This is well before Suzuki Roshi and other uh, mid-20th century teachers. So our big mind, our, our big selves, not our small mind that is concerned with our individual lives and fates, our big mind is what pervades the entire universe. But I want to quote uh, a Zen priest and teacher whom I really recommend um, uh, on Zazen in particular, um, whose name is Isho Fujita. I'll have more to say about who he is in just a second. But first to say what he says about jhana either as a general concept or any of these four stages or eight stages or however many stages you run into if you explore this topic. This is what Isho says. He says, zazen is not a training in jhana. That's shuzen, (laughs) right? He says it's one genre of Buddhist practice, like the three studies, um, which he says are are, uh, morality, concentration, and wisdom, or the six paramitas, which we just mentioned. All of these things are trainings. They're techniques. He says that, those kinds of things, are a quite different practice from zazen. In other words, he says, shuzen is a personal training to achieve some kind of individual ideal. And he calls this Hinayana, which is a term we don't really use anymore, small vehicle, right? Kind of personal salvation, personal practice for one's own personal benefit, which, you know, may benefit the world, but we're emphasizing practice for ourselves. And he goes on to say, Zazen is an expression of something transpersonal, larger than your personal concerns. It's something universal. And he calls this the great vehicle, Mahayana, which is what. Uh, zen uh, partakes of. That's our larger school, the large vehicle, right? Everybody on the bus. Right? So Fujita says that the instructions that we all receive about how to do Zazen are kind of first steps that we use to learn about our bodies and minds, which many of us are not very well acquainted with, actually. Right? But these instructions are Shu Zen. Right? learning meditation, as he says, are venerable, venerated instructions like count your breath or naming phenomena that arise in your mind or states of mind. Right? These are all uh, Shuzen. And even more so, attempts to control our thoughts or attempting to reach or produce various states of concentration, aiming at something other than what's actually happening, who you actually are right here and right now. Fujita says, Zen master Dogen calls this type of action go-e in Japanese, go-e, or forcible action, right? Like, you know, it's our will, which we, are, <laughs> we always think we need to apply to things. I'm going to make this happen, right? That's Go-e to do something intentionally, by force, aiming at a certain goal. And he says, Dogen, instead of go-i, recommends un-i, and these are Japanese terms, un is spontaneous action that emerges naturally in response to the situation, beyond judgment and beyond discrimination by which he means discriminating thought, like good or bad, right? There is a common misunderstanding, says Fujita, that zazen is done as an accumulation of go right? You kind of... <laughs> right? But Dogen says that zazen should be done by letting go of both your body and mind, forgetting them both, and this is a quote from Dogen, and throwing yourself into the house of Buddha with all things being done by Buddha and not by you. I just want to say about Fujita, uh, Isho Fujita uh, is a teacher in the lineage of Shohaku Okamura and of Uchiyama Roshi, in case some of you know those names, and he spent about a dozen years in Massachusetts teaching at the Pioneer Valley Zendo where they practice meditation in this style of the, of the Antaiji Temple um, in Japan, basically all Zazen all the time. 50 minutes periods of Zazen basically all day long. <laughs> it's a very stripped down practice um, and he's now back in Japan. But he's a very, uh, he's really examined Zazen intimately and he speaks excellent English and you can find his writings on the internet. He's never published a book as a book. Um, but if you look for Polishing a Tile and Fujita, Isho Fujita, you'll find a collection of his writings on uh, Zazen. Another teacher that I'd like to quote for you is Domio Burke. Uh, she teaches at Brightway Zen in Portland. And she says, This, this throwing away body and mind, this not like leaving it all to Buddha and not your own personal concerns. She says, this is why Zazen is such a profound teacher. She says, we can't bear the thought of doing nothing. (laughs) We're sure if we don't at least try to be present, our minds will wander the whole time we're sitting and we'll utterly waste our time. She says, after all, it's nice when the mind calms down and we appreciate the present moment for a while. Like, shouldn't we try to make that happen? Make that happen? And she answers, no. (laughs) Any effort to make anything happen is not Zazen. I hope this is encouraging. It sort sounds like... <laughs> <embarrassing. laughs> but when we really let go of doing anything, things don't necessarily unfold the way we expect. Right? So find out what happens when you stop trying to control things. She says, What matters is not the content of Zazen, feeling some particular way having some particular experience it's not the content but the space you're creating for it for whatever happens by just sitting it's turning toward reality with graciousness instead of self-interest even self-interest around your meditation experience right so pause for a moment and say right if if we continue on the path which i don't know that i've actually stopped Continuing on. But if you continue on the path of how can this make me a better person, a better Zen person, a better priest, (laughs) whatever, right, you're still thinking about this person. And it's not fully Mm Sazen. Fujita, going back to him, also says As is often the case for us, each of us sits Sazen in order to attain something. Peace of mind or Satori, right? An enlightenment experience, some kind of special experience of oneness or unity or, you know, the dropping away of one's usual consciousness. He says, then in the name of seeking the way or practice, we each become obsessed <laughs> with spiritual practice as a means of resolving our individual internal suffering. And in the process, we become more and more absorbed in a narrow, complicated world. Because that's just what we do. <laughs> from the beginning, he says, there is no idea of throughout all things in this standpoint. So this is the shift that all of these teachers are encouraging away from you know just you sitting for yourself, even if you're in a room full of people, and a wider view, a wider experience, a wider realization. Fujita says, if we stay in this you know, individual container of the self. He says, this is nothing other than setting off from the small self and returning to the small self in a narcissistic sort of way. However, as his own teacher, Sawaki Roshi said, if there is even the slightest amount of personal interest, then zazen will never be pure and unadulterated, will never be completely unified. For that reason, no matter how ardently we practice in a way that is exclusively personal, then it is not possible to do Zazen. Right? So this is tough love from our <laughs> Japanese teachers. Okay, so not exclusively personal. Otherwise, we are just contributing our project uh, to our project of self-improvement through manipulation of our experience. But now I want to talk to uh, uh, turn to what Dogen said in a sentence just before he says, the zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. So I kind of skipped an important piece of this, which I now want to return to. Um, and what he said right before is also a famous line an important uh, here. He says, once you've taken up the posture and you've settled into an immobile sitting position, he says, Think of not thinking. So this is the place where he addresses what is going on with our minds, our everyday minds, our everyday consciousness. He says, think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking, non-thinking? This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. Now, this essential art is hard to understand by using these English words, right? What is the difference between not thinking and non-thinking, right? (laughs) This seems like more obfuscation. Well, we have just said to include everything, right? not to manipulate your experience or try to aim for some particular uh, thing um, is also the essential art, right? To open to everything, to throw everything into the house of Buddha, I love that phrase, and leave it all to zazen without trying to do anything. Well, that includes not trying to stop thought. So non-thinking, not thinking. This doesn't mean cut off thinking, get rid of your thinking, thinking is bad, right? all these things. right? We can't stop thought any more than we can stop breathing or can stop the beating of our hearts. So what is not thinking if it's not stopping thought? There's a lot written about this, too. But what I most like is a teacher Cohen Franz uh, take. Uh, Cohen practiced in Japan and knows Japanese very well. He now teaches in Nova Scotia. And he points out that the word for thinking here in Dogen and elsewhere in Zen teaching is a word shiryo, shiryo. Right, so that's the word used here for thinking. Not thinking. What we are translating as not thinking is fu shiryo. Fu is a a negating term like non or not. And what we are differentiating in English as non thinking is he shiryo. So they're two different prefixes that mean no or not. So he says, uh, in um, looking, he said, if you look at these prefixes, fu and he, this doesn't really help us very much. Like not and non, they don't really help us very much. But he realized that shirio, the term for thinking, is not the usual word in Japanese for thinking, our everyday thinking. Right? There are a number of words actually that contain this word shi or this initial uh, part of the word shi, but rio. Right, so shi is a, a root of the root meaning of the root for the word thinking. But Ryo is what makes the difference. Shirio. Ryo refers to measurement, like a ruler, right? So he says this language that Dogen is using is about the aspect of mind that measures and calculates and evaluates, you know, that holds up a yardstick to our experience or to what he calls thought objects. It's a kind of directed thought, so it expresses itself often with us as, how am I doing, (laughs) right? Is this a good thought, a bad thought? Is my zazen good, is it bad? I wish it were different, right? So it's this measuring thought that he's focusing on. So again, it's about fabrication and self-centeredness. Having this consciousness of long or short, right? Good or bad. Five minutes of zazen is not as good as an hour of zazen. All of these thoughts are, are what he's aiming at. So we want something and we measure how we're doing. That's shiryō So where does all this leave us? Right? This is a question of how to unite body and mind. Where does all this leave us? I think it's actually someplace kind of good, <laughs> believe it or not. There's a lot of reticence about what you were supposed to do in Zazen, because you're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> Fundamentally, it's about letting go of doing anything. There's a phrase one inch Zazen, one inch Buddha, right? One moment of Zazen is one moment of eternity, and things like that, right? You can't compare or measure Zazen to anything, and it is the Buddha we already are that does Zazen. You individually don't do zazen. It's a big mistake, actually, for you to think, or for me to think, or any of us to think, I'm doing zazen, <laughs> even though, of course, you are. Right? In the realm of the relative, each of us does zazen, or sits down, at least. Right? Fujita says, when we refer to the qualities of beyond thinking, that's another way of translating he shiryo, non-thinking, beyond thinking, we mean, he says, that sitting posture itself is beyond thinking, has no thought. Not that we individually are. He says, we will never be beyond thinking, Right, just as, just as we can't stop breathing, as long as we live. What we can do is sit with the faith that zazen posture itself is Buddha, Right, and that zazen posture itself is beyond thinking. Fujita says, we tend to think that we are sitting zazen. This is not the case. The entire universe is sitting zazen expressed through you. My root teacher, Josho, with whom I started this whole talk, said uh, once, she quoted uh, another Japanese teacher named Tatsugami, who came to Tasahara, the monastery of San Francisco Zen Center, to help Suzuki Roshi set up the formal practice there. And Tatsugami said, you cannot truly understand something without devoting yourself to it. If you try to do something with complete wholeheartedness, you will turn out to be yourself. And Jo Sho herself commented on this in a talk about the Fukan Zazengi. She said, this is one of the secrets of Zen. (laughs) We dedicate ourselves to hours and years of upright sitting, developing our awareness Our awareness that isn't centered on anything, not ourselves, not in any one thing. Developing our awareness, settling deeply with fundamental, basic being. And the result is that we are simply, completely ourselves. (laughs) Nothing more or less. So, going back to where I started. I've spent decades now, as she pointed out, (laughs) devoted to sitting and to wholeheartedly and devotedly practicing Zen. When Joshua said, I am a Zazen priest, I think that this is what she meant. I turned out to be myself, <laughs> no matter what the reasons were why I came to Zen. Nothing more, and nothing less, and I wish the same for all of you, just to be yourselves. Thank you very much. And I don't know if there are any questions. Probably there are lots of questions. Um, i here to answer the best I can yes yes Eric
1: when you talk about um, when you're sitting Zalzin the whole universe is sitting could you you talk about that a little bit
0: more (laughs) (laughs) well I think that this is pointing us away from thinking I'm here sitting right and this goes along with Dovin's fundamental teaching that practice and realization are not separate he, he saw them as one thing. And in fact, there's a word, which I'm not going to come up with right now, that basically means practice realization. It's like written as one char- you know, one thing, one character. And one way of thinking about it, if you need to think about it, I think, is... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go home and stare at the wall for a few hours. Um, one, one way to think about it is that you and every phenomenon... The 10,000 grasses is sometimes you know, used as a, a metaphor for all phenomena. 10,000 grasses, is like you, know, you see a huge field and they all look the same, but they're all unique as well, right? Any phenomenon in the universe is an expression of the entire universe. Right? The entire universe is present in that one blade of grass, right? and, and nothing can be separated from the entire universe. And you can do this analytically and pull it apart, this is part of what the training of buddhism these trainings gets at to break down phenomena in a way that dissolves these this thinking of me and that thing over there right so everything is expressed in one single thing and one single thing is expressing everything and we sit because out of that truth we take up this posture it's sometimes called, the posture itself is sometimes called a mudra. The, the Buddha mudra is sitting in this posture. Right? <laughs> 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 and it's a big responsibility, right? You know, you feel it is a big responsibility to take up this posture, which is beyond thinking and beyond the individual. Suzuki Roshi once um, walked into the Zendo uh, on Page Street in San Francisco, And there were all these people sitting facing the wall, you know, in the same posture, wearing the same thing. And he said, when you're sitting like that, I can see your individuality. So it wasn't like, you know, looking at a person saying, oh, she's wearing this and he's wearing that and their hair is this long and this person has glasses and the things that we usually use to individuate. Right? It was when everyone was doing the same thing and expressing themselves fully in Zazen posture, he said he could see each of them. That 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 story helped me to understand a little bit maybe of what he was talking about, what, what this teaching is about. Yeah. Thank you. Jose. Uh
1: yes, I liked very much uh differentiation between Go I and E. Mm-hmm. Um and uh uh, I wonder if uh, both are needed, uh, at least uh, as you're trying to navigate this terrain um, in order to stumble somewhere uh, and to try to figure it out because uh, uh, too much goi uh, is frustrating and uh, trying to cultivate too much, uh, trying to find uni is difficult without any sort of scaffolding.
0: Yeah. So this is where intention comes in, right? So we have an intention to practice some something... Resonates or something t- brings us to practice. Right? Usually, it's some suffering <laughs> that brings us, right? And we walk into the room and it's like, as Joshua said to me once, you know, H- happy, well-adjusted people are totally content with their life. Don't enter a room that's part, you know, kind of dim and face the wall with a bunch of strangers, right? It's like something that, that's bringing you to do that. You know, it's usually like I'm miserable. Like maybe this will help so um, yeah and elsewhere in his voluminous writings Hujita says something about the Buddha and his own uh, path and so you know if you read A Life of the Buddha he came from he was he was the son of a king he was supposed to be a king and he leaves because he realizes like oh life is impermanent and he takes up a, a number of different practices with different teachers and he masters them all really quickly there are all these you know spiritual teachers wandering around northern india and he takes up with different ones and he learns these you know shuzen or some kind of practice some kind of training and he's you know his karma of many lifetimes brings him to a point where he can like yep got it got it got it and he leaves each teacher because it's it's not giving him the answer he, he's looking for Right? So he, he does all these practices. He does the Shu Zen thing. And then after a while, he leaves all teachers and he practices severe asceticism. And there are these disturbing images of the Buddha that you can find where he's just a rack of... He's a skeleton. He's basically a skeleton. Because he's fasting. He's mortifying his flesh. He's not, you know, he's not eating or he's eating just enough to stay alive. And at a certain point... This also seemed to him to be not the way, right? The extremes are not the way. That's all go right? That's all go-e. And what, what he remembers, and Fujita thinks this is important, he said, okay, but I don't want to give up, right? He, he thinks there must be a way. And he remembers as a child, he sat down during, I think, a plowing season or harvest, I don't know which, but he was outside and he sat down under a tree and he felt happy. He felt content and he thought, well, maybe that's it. <laughs> and that's uni, I think, and that's what Fujita kind of points to. But he wouldn't have had that natural impulse, I think, if he hadn't done all the go stuff, right? So it's like, does this sound familiar, right? I try everything, <laughs> right? Um, and then it's the simple thing that is, comes up from some natural place where it's, it's innocence, like children, you know. And uh, he was—he he sits down under a tree and says, "I'm not going to move until I unfold this happiness fully, this contentment, this non-doing." He also, before he sat down, you know, ate, and bathed, and kind of returned to life. Right? Negating life was not—not not what was working either. So this is where we get the middle path.
1: Pat. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's a lot to laugh, think about. Yes. It reminds me of my favorite story of our founder, Zenki Blanche Hartman. Yeah. She went into Suzuki Roshi one time in Dokusan and said, and she was very proud because she had just spent the last 35 minutes following every single breath. She told him, that, you know, she had followed every single breath, and he said, Don't you know you don't do Zazen? Zazen does you
0: yeah or or zazen does zazen I've heard that version too, yeah, so this is a story about Blanche Hartman, right uh, who is our founder, there's pictures upstairs and various other places um yeah and uh and he was fierce with her. I remember reading that that it was the one time or the first time when he kind of mm, right cause she he'd always been very encouraging and uh she was she Came to him with this experience, and you know that was the response. Like, it's a big mistake to think that you do zazen. She was like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is a constant refrain, right? That that you can't, you as a as a as the small mind that we all are, that mind can't do zazen. That mind might be looking for something that it thinks zazen's going to deliver, but actually doing zazen is something else. Right? Actually doing zazen is just is giving up all of those desires right yeah is there any was there a hand up out here yes rich I. so um,
1: I'm wondering um, you mentioned discriminative thinking I think yes right? that that part of not thinking right and so I guess I wonder is is that the the point where we're at first we come in with our self our small self which is full of discriminative thinking about I like this and I don't like that but we're sitting with that and we see it and then we we realize wow this is this is not this is not gonna leave me at peace or tranquility or anything. It's just you know further suffering. Yeah. And that we learn how to set you know, let go of that. Learn how to let go of the small self. And is is that and not attached to the the discriminative thinking that's trying to get this, and push away that, and ignore this, and that, you know? Is that, isn't, isn't that what dropping off body and mind is about? That kind of that non-thinking of, like, this, that discriminative self, small self?
0: I'm not sure it's what dropping off... That's another famous phrase, dropping off body and mind, or, as, you know, another way of expressing this is throwing yourself into the house of Buddha. But, I think it, you can say, you can see your likes and dislikes, right, or your preferences, and not be bothered by them. Right? It's, I mean, I like chocolate ice cream. If you ask me what ice cream I want, it's chocolate. If you give me vanilla, I'll be a little disappointed, right? But that's just me. <laughs> it's just like, a, it's something that I, that's a trivial example, but it's just, it's like I get, chocolate, I get chocolate ice cream, I think, great, chocolate ice cream, right. and that's okay. And then I think, vanilla ice cream, Don 't they have chocolate <laughs> you know, and that's okay too. It's just like it's not being it it's the catching fire of those things where you start telling stories about it, and I think this is something that actually zenko Mazenki Dillo is really good on about dealing with those kind of emotional um responses like this is, I can't take this, this is terrible, I'm with these people I don't like, I've got this ice cream I don't like, I've got, I want to be somewhere else, and you just let it come and you just let it go. You let it go. And, and it's the equanimity, which is one of the, also, achieving equanimity or cultivating equanimity is another of the fundamental practices, right, is all aiming in a good direction. There's nothing wrong with any of this. Right. Right. But so. we're always going to have preferences. You know we are. It's just us. It's just ooh. It's just human. It's not about not being human. It's about being fundamentally human in a different way, where we're not pulled around by our karma and our conditioning, right? We are actually pulled around by zazen. <laughs> zazen is our is the fundamental. We, if we can express the Buddha we are, which by the way we're doing when we chant, when we bow. Right. We do all that stuff, not just because it's some ancient you know, Japanese practice yeah. that we've inherited, but because we are actually enacting Buddha when we do that, all of us, whether we're the priest or the doan or the chanters. or the right, This is a, another embodiment practice. It's, that's, a, that's a whole different topic. It's a whole other talk. But <laughs> anyway, all of this, this whole environment and everything we do is... Yeah. Aimed at at having us express Buddha, whether we're conscious of what we're doing or not, we're conscious on a level that's beyond thinking. It's beyond thinking. So sometimes we may notice, oh, you know, we're not. The the drum has gotten ahead of the chanting. Ooh, that hurts. Just keep chanting. You know, yeah. That wasn't a comment on anybody's drum, but it happens. You know, right. I think I missed Bunkai's question he has popped out is there anybody online who has a question I don't think so no one is appearing okay well Bunkai is my husband he can ask me later so. <laughs> <laughs> any other questions I want to um, I want to just share with you one last greeting from Fujita whom I know I've I've met him and he did a couple of retreats with us in Chapel Hill Zen Center and that's part of why i wanted to bring him to you. If he were not in Japan, I would invite him here. Um, So here's what he says about sitting in Zazen. While we are sitting in Zazen, we definitely have a feeling of disappointment, an unsatisfactoriness, a sense of uncertainty, or fruitlessness. We think, I'm working so hard, but I'm not experiencing the response or effect I wish. Maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe my effort is not enough. Or maybe I'm not suited for this practice. Right? He says, these are the kinds of doubts and questions that arise. And he said, sometimes we think, should I, just, should I keep doing this? Right? We're not. Is it, this, is it not a waste of time? <laughs> he said, but that is totally all right for zazen. He said, it is a good sign that we are doing zazen in the right direction. Right? Because we're thinking, I'm not getting anything out of this that I wanted or that I think I should be getting. And yet, we keep doing it. So you're going in the right direction. He says, one of the fundamental teachings is the first noble truth.
1: Well, life is, has, has suffering as a part of it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> life is suffering. But, but the word for suffering it really could be translated as unsatisfactoriness, right? It's not just like, like ah, suffering. It's like vanilla ice cream. <laughs> 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 we human beings cannot be fully satisfied. However hard we strive, there's always going to be this gap, right? (laughs) Lily Tomlin said, life is like a recess filter. It's always one-sixteenth of an inch away, right? (laughs) You're satisfactory. I remember recess filters back in the day. Okay. (laughs) I think the true meaning of the word dukkha, this is the Sanskrit for suffering. We often transfer it as suffering. He says, this word maybe is not so well translated as suffering, but a description of the fundamental fact that life that in life it is impossible for us to get ultimate satisfaction in this transient world. So what we're doing is trying to be fundamentally okay and then find the joy in this transient world. Right? We are alive, it's a miracle. And it's wonderful. Right? So we settle in this feeling of unsatisfactoriness. <laughs> right? We settle in being unsettled. And that's kind of maybe how Dropping off body and mind happens ultimately. So he says to do Zazen, we should just clearly and deeply admit that there is no other way to authentic peace (laughs) and just sit down with unsatisfactoriness. (laughs) Thank you all very, very much.